Well, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, at the very least, good day. My name is Herb. I'm an alcoholic. This call is, this Zoom experience is being recorded. Please join me in prayer for spiritual intervention, asking the Spirit to actually give us the gift of an open mind and open heart. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps, and you. For an open mind and a new experience of myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps, and especially you. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. So we have been looking at step one for several weeks, maybe actually several months. Normally, it's about three months to take a look at and express my understanding of the big book and my own experience and to have some dialogue with the participants in the workshop. It takes about three months for us, at a minimum, to explore and experience step one. Explore is really important. Get a really solid idea as to the vocabulary, the structure, what Bill and the big book mean by the various words that they use to describe the problem of addiction. That first half of the first step. But I promised all the way through that journey of the first half of the first step with kind of a teaser. It wasn't my intention. It's just how it worked out as I see it in retrospect, <clears throat> that the real problem is not addiction. Although we're spending a lot of time understanding it. And in fact, I'm encouraging you to really get deep into your own personal experience with it so that you can actually re-experience it without, in fact, your, a relapse, but to re-experience powerlessness in the body powerlessness in the mind based on your own personal history in conjunction with perhaps a new understanding of the big books approach and a presentation. And last week I did the first teaching on unmanageability, that second half of the first step. We looked at page 45 where Bill clearly makes a transition he has not mentioned, like he does in these two pages, especially page 45, willpower. And he says, the body's a problem and the mind's a problem, but the will is really the problem. And in fact, lack of power is our dilemma. That's a direct quote on page 45. Lack of power, lack of willpower is his implication here, is the dilemma. And then we went to page 52. 
and we looked at the bedevilments. The big book has a paragraph, that second paragraph that has that word in it, bedevilment. And I asked you to look it up in a dictionary. We haven't done much work asking you to talk about <clears throat> your definitions because everybody has different definitions and different ones that they like out of the different definitions. I particularly, we will do some of that today, tonight. Uh, I, I particularly like the one in my dictionary that says to be controlled as if by devils. Not, not to get any type of religious connotation. No, no, no. I don't mean that one bit. Not one bit. But from a metaphorical standpoint. Quoting St. Paul from the Christian scripture. I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. In a very classic way, using another image, I'm a puppet on strings. Most of the time I don't know that, but when I'm thinking about it like this, historically, it looks like circumstances and people have the strings in their hands and I'm reacting. And it doesn't seem like I have any management, control, or influence over my life. It's just like survival of the fittest, as Darwin would say. And it's this life's a beating, especially when you're in your addiction. But we're talking now about people who are not connected to their addiction or they have had some abstinence and, and, and they're not able to sustain it. Because the doctor's opinion says we have, we have this phenomenon of restless, irritable and discontent. For me, that's the most apt description of unmanageability in the big book. Restless, irritable, and discontent. Alcohol was my medication. When I had alcohol, I was not irritable, restless, and discontent. I was a sense of peace and at ease, and I was content, and I had a wonderful sense of self-esteem and a connection to my community. Well, until I overdid it, of course, and then it all fell apart. But that was like, yeah, that's just what happens sometimes. It doesn't happen every time. And it's, oops, sorry, oops, sorry, oops, sorry. Now, in my case, it was periodic. So it was even less observable from the cycles. I'm going to put some things up on the screen just to support the words that I want to use. <clears throat> Well, let me go back to that. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. And we've all agreed, or at least I've encouraged you to, substitute the word alcohol, eliminate it if that's not your problem, and put your problem in there in terms of your addiction, whatever that is. It may have been that alcohol was your problem, but now you're sober a year or five or 10 or 20, and you've developed other issues that you're concerned about. Maybe you've identified what they are and maybe you haven't, but the, the issue belongs there. But notice that there's a dash, that our lives had become unmanageable. I've encouraged you to look that word up and perhaps we'll even explore that tonight. But this is what it looks like when you're in your addiction. But more often than not, people that get free of their addiction eventually start feeling this way again. 
because something's wrong, something's amiss. So there's a there's a hole in my soul. I mean, that's a poetic way of describing this restless, irritable, and discontent. I've used the model, and I'm going to reinforce it all year long because it's basic to at least my approach of the first step, my approach for each step, and my overall approach to all of the steps as a whole. And that is who we are as a human being. The steps, I believe, are essentially an organic methodology built specifically for us as human beings. Not that we are different and human because we have a body. No, that doesn't make us any different than a carrot, a rock, a cat. It doesn't make us any different. We've all got materiality. A rock is inert. It has no consciousness that we're aware of. A carrot has a vegetative consciousness, if you will. It's a stretch. But at least it has a life force that grows. A cat is different than a carrot in that a cat can move around and the cat can learn. A carrot has this basic physiology of growth, but a cat has the basic biology of emotions, literal emotions. The mammals have emotions. In us, the body instinct is managed by the brain stem, one of three brains. We have three brains. The one that sits on top of our neck at the top of the spinal cord is the brain stem. That manages instincts. That's a brain. The first one that was developed in us and then developed over millions of years, that area in us that we call emotions, the limbic system, some people call it or connected to our consciousness, but it's way below our consciousness. It's really a, a, a product of the, I didn't even mean to put that up there. It's really a product of the, of the body. Emotions are blind. They're instinctual uh, 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 responses to survival. Anger, fight, and fear, flight and freeze dishonesty, meaning camouflage. In humans, it's a conscious thing or an unconscious thing. But what makes us specifically human? Different than a cat, different than a monkey, different than a whale. What makes us specifically human is that we have a mind. Now, we had a big discussion last night. It was very fruitful. And, and it, I realized that I needed to be clearer what I mean by mind. The mind is not an organ in us. It's a function of, a, of the organ in us, probably the function of the brain at the very least, 
probably connected to the heart, probably connected to the gut, all in a way of knowing. You hear lots of people talk about knowing intuitively, knowing instinctually. Trying to think of the word for emotion. It'll come back to me. The mind is not a place in us. It's a function in us, a function that allows us to know, allows us to reflect, allows us to transcend ourselves. I mean, we can reflect on the meaning of the words that I'm using right now in an intentional way. No other being can do that. That's why we have language in which we can communicate. But the real function that makes us specifically human and specifically individual is that we have free will. We each have willpower. Again, this is not a place in us. This is not an organ in us. This is a function in us. A function to make a decision. A function to decide. A function to take action on a voluntary basis. It is the basis of law in all civilized society. That people can make a decision and take some action and they're fully responsible for that decision and the consequences of that action. Now, of course, it's, it's a logical thing if you think about it as deeply as I'm inviting you to, that we can know better without doing better. That's one of the definitions of unmanageability. Some of us don't know and therefore we operate on ignorance, meaning lack of information. But most of us know better and don't do better. That's what I quoted earlier on. I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. Bill recognized that. That's where I've come up with this dynamic from his own model in the way he has created the steps. Listen to step 11, the very final way that step 11 is phrased. The, 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 the last two phrases, praying for the knowledge of God's will for us, connected to the mind, and praying for the power to do it, the ability to have my willpower choose to go in that direction, that my mind knows is the right direction. He's making that distinction, and he he does it throughout the book, and I'll point it out throughout the book. And so we looked deeply at the body and the mind as a problem in addiction. The mind gets hijacked by the obsession, a thought over which we have no control. That's the whole point of no choice. But what does Bill mean when he puts unmanageability in the same category as the body and the mind? He puts it in... Step one, doesn't he? Unmanageability, at least as I've interpreted it. Lack of power is our dilemma. Lack of willpower. Oh, well, 
are psychologists and lawyers and the state all wrong? It's not free. We don't have any free will at all. There are some philosophers that believe that, that everything is predetermined. Bill does not. I do not. I don't believe in predetermination at all, predestination. So how do I reconcile that? That Bill puts unmanageability as the second half of the first step and by implication throughout the textbook says it's the most important part. Lack of power is our problem. Addiction is not, it's a problem, but it's not the problem. Unmanageability is the problem. What do we mean by then? And where is the will not free and where is the will free? Huge questions. And I've come to an explanation. It works for me in terms of understanding all each of the steps in the entire spiritual development or human development. Addiction is the problem of the body and the mind. The spiritual malady, I'm introducing a new term now, because Bill does. There's lots of material that I incorporate in my beginning explanations that you haven't, in this course anyway, in this uh, cycle of presentations, that I've not given you assignments of in the big book or you may not be that familiar with some of the areas in the big book, but it's so relevant on page 64. And if you don't have your big book with you, that's okay. Just make a note, page 64, please, because it reinforces this paradigm, this model that I'm using. In the very last paragraph, Bill's talking about resentments from in the second line. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. He's talking about a spiritual malady here. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, hello, body and mind, first half of the first step. We have been spiritually sick. Lack of power is our dilemma. This is unmanageability. This is the spiritual malady. Then he says, when the spiritual malady is overcome, he's using the words I've got on the screen. We straighten out mentally and physically. This is how I interpret then what Bill says as we enter into step 10, coming out of step nine on pages 84 and 85. He says, we enter the world of the spirit and we're placed in a position of neutrality, implication with regard to our body and mind. Our addiction is neutralized. We have recovered, I'm using the past tense, we have recovered at this point by the end of the ninth step, we have recovered, we're placed in a position of neutrality with regard to our addiction. And then he warns us, we've entered the world of the spirit, but we're not cured. And we have a daily reprieve. Well, he doesn't tell us a daily reprieve from what? My speculation is the connection, and I'm assuming that he assumes that everybody who's read up to that point and experienced the big book up to that point has the same understanding. That's my interpretation. We're not cured of unmanageability. We have a daily reprieve contingent on our spiritual life. He calls this 
our way of life. He, he says we commence this way of life as we clean up the past, as we do step nine, we get instructions on and begin to incorporate in our daily lives the practice of steps 10, 11, and 12. Because we need to keep me clean, step 10. And part of that keeping me clean in step 11 is when we go to, go to bed at night after our day of keeping ourselves in fine spiritual condition, removing the impediments through the step 10 process. If we missed anything, he has inventory for us. So at night we do step 11 inventory to clean up what we didn't clean up during the day. And then in the morning, we ask for guidance in meditation. And that cycle then is a daily cycle. Spot check inventory on a conscious basis 24 seven Awareness of the presence of God on a conscious basis 24-7. And then in step 12, operating on principles. We have to determine what those are for ourselves in pursuit of 24-7 helping people. Wow. That's a lot. But we're not talking about anything special we're talking about a change in attitude and a change in motives and in many cases a big change in our behavior when the spiritual malady is overcome we straighten out mentally and physically the real problem is the problem of my will and i use the word spirit here because when we get to step two, we're going to try to unpack where does that word fit in? Some people say body, mind, and, and spirit. I understand that. I think spirit's different than will. I think spirit is the life force in us that houses the body, the emotions, the mind, and the will. And some people call that soul or we can call that spirit. We'll be talking more about that when we get to step two. Let's stay with step one. Substance and process, I've introduced those terms. They're professional terms to distinguish between the kinds of addictions that people have. There's no substance involved with a whole slew of addictions like gambling, like pornography, like workaholism, like love addiction, like debting addiction, like buying addiction. I mean, there are so many variations on a theme, and we've looked at some of them in, through your sharing. But it's a percentage of people. Notice it's a percentage of people. Unmanageability, my speculation is it's the human problem. It's not a percentage of people. It's 100%, 10 out of 10, have the unmanageability. Let's take a look at it. After we, again, see the varieties of substance and process addictions. I have things there that may appear very creative to you. You may not have thought of fear as an addiction, anger as an addiction, dishonesty as an addiction. Bill says in the 12 and 12, 
in chapter four about inventory, he uses the model of instincts gone awry. Those are the instincts I opened up with. Fight, flight, and freeze. More about that later. Step one is about powerless. Everybody can quote it. I mean, they don't even have to think about it. It's almost mindless robotic. I want you to think about it. What does it mean? It means no power. It means no choice. Of course, when we're talking about our addiction, it means no choice when I engage in it. All right, I lose control. And Dr. Shilkworth was very clear. It was his opinion that there's something biologically wrong with us. Bill fortunately had exposure to the <clears throat> Oxford group and they talked about a transformation of the mind that is necessary because the mind's really the problem. And we pursued that. We looked at obsession and delusion and even the definition of insanity according to the big book on page 37. And that we're powerless and most everybody really gets that. No choice. But what about this part, the will, unmanageability, that spiritual malady that I've been discussing with you? That was Carl Jung. Carl Jung is the fellow who sent the first person that we ever know of to find a spiritual experience. Roland Hazard. Roland went to the Oxford group and found his awakening and freedom from alcohol. And then because Dr. Silkworth was, was treating drunks, Bill Wilson finally found his way into the town's hospital where Dr. Silkworth explained all of the physical aspects to him as we've gone through his opinion. And Ebby has taken him to the Oxford group where he's becoming very familiar with the six steps of the Oxford group to have this spiritual awakening. And you can see it when you read it, if you wanna even do that, it's not part of the assignment till we get to step two, his introduction and actually working of the steps on page 13 in the big book and the spiritual experience he has the very next day, the third day of hospitalization on page 14. But what are the bedevilments? I am having trouble with personal relationships. I can't control my emotional nature. What I did was take them from page 52 in the big book. We looked at it last week. I converted it to personal pronoun, making it about me. I converted it to present tense, not, not when I'm drinking, not when I'm not abstinent, before I came into the program, of course, anybody who's connected to their addiction, practicing their addiction is in fact going to have an unmanageable life. But this is about people who have some abstinence, whether it be a week or a decade, it doesn't make any difference. And it's a question about my current life, not yesterday, certainly not last year, but right now, as we're 
thinking this through. I am a prey to misery and depression. I can't make a living that satisfies me. I have a feeling of uselessness. I am full of fear. I am unhappy. I can't seem to be of real uh, uh, help to other people. And my insight was, nor do I really care to be of real help to other people. Powerless in my body, my addiction. Powerless in my mind as part of the obsession. The real key to understanding no choice. But here we are in a position of neutrality, having finished the steps, practicing 10, 11, and 12. And Bill is saying, we're not cured. We have a daily reprieve. Now we're going to take a look at what's on the screen now as selfishness, self-centeredness, as the bullseye heart of the matter. The part that I want to review with you today begins on page 60. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Okay, this isn't Bill's intention to bring us into unmanageability in step one. When we looked at pages 44, 45, and 52. No, that was about step two. His intention in this material that I'm looking at now, chapter five, how it works, is his intention, his structure in the big book is to be looking at step three. But at 10 years of sobriety, this man who introduced me to the set aside prayer and attitude pieced unmanageability together the way I'm piecing it to you. And it makes eminent sense once, in fact, we've been through it and you, you understand at least how I've puzzle pieced this together based on that man's instructions and based on my experience. The first requirement is that I be convinced that my life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Restless, irritable, and discontent. I'm abstinent, but I'm not happy. Going back to page 60. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody. Circumstances and people. That's a, a, a phrase you'll hear from me throughout our time together this year. Even though our motives are good. Well, that's part of our delusion, and we don't know that we don't know that our motives are corrupt. Most people try to live by self-propulsion, especially here in the United States. We were built on self-reliance. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. Bill likes the theater drama. He likes the theater analogy, the example of the theater, and I'll point that out when I see that he is weaving it into his suggestions. An actor who wants to run the whole show is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. Well, whose job is it to arrange the lights, to run the show, to arrange the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players? It's the director's job, all right? And we place ourselves as the director. 
it is true that we are the center of our life. That is, I, when you own that, it's wonderful. It's a spiritual experience, actually, when you own it. I am the center of my life. But it's equally a startling and embarrassing experience to have, as I did in 1988, when I went through this steps, these steps the first time when I was four years sober, I discovered that I thought, not in conscious way, but in the way I behaved, that I was the center of the world, not the center of my world, the center of the world. And I acted that way. If his arrangements would only stay put. Now the Alanons and the codependents are gonna just love this material. If his arrangements, her arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as I wished, the show would be great. Staying with the drama, the theater. Everybody, including myself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. May be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. Mother Teresa. On the other hand, I may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. All right? The devil incarnate. You hear the manipulation of that? I'm going to be nice to you as long as you do what I'm expecting. And then if you don't, I'm going to be mean to get you to do what I want. That manipulation. This is about willpower. I am making a decision. I am consciously or unconsciously attempting to be the director of my life and your life and all the lives around me. My boss at work, my coworkers at work. Maybe the meetings I go to, maybe the sponsors that I have had. I don't take direction. I make up my own mind as to my program, not the program. But as with most humans, we are more likely to have varied traits. So on a scale of one to 10, some of us are a two in these areas and some of us are an eight in these areas. And it might depend on the day or the week or the year or the age and stage. What usually happens? Well, the show doesn't come off very well. I begin to think life doesn't treat me very right. Now notice I'm using the personal pronoun again and I'm using the present tense again. You should try that and then read it out loud like you did with the bedevilments, if in fact you followed those suggestions, because those were the suggestions I received, and it was a very powerful process to write it as personal pronoun and present tense, and then to read it out loud so that I could actually hear it and experience it. I decide to exert myself more. Well, I'll get up earlier. I'll run harder. I'll try, I'll go to more courses, more retreats, more workshops, more, I'll read more books and I'll stay up later. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious. Hear the manipulation again. 
as the case may be. Still, the play doesn't suit him. Life isn't going according to my script. This is the biggest lesson, I'll use that term, that people that I experienced in step four, that I had a script. I didn't know that I had a script. I had a story. I didn't know that I had a story. I had a story about who I was and I had a script about who you were and how the world should work. And I just used the word should, it's the key. And I'll use it again when we get to step four because it unlocks the door of our belief system. When I think or feel or say should, it's a yellow light caution. It's not necessarily a distortion, but it's possibly a distortion. And I need to pause when I think or feel or say should and look at it. Is it objective? Is it the truth? Is it my experience? Is it real? What's my motive? Or is it just another piece of the delusional story that I've developed about myself and the script that I've developed about the world and the people in it? One of my good friends uh, has made this wonderful insight. Step four is actually step four, step one in writing. Step one is an experience. But step four, when you put it in writing, is an experience of that powerlessness and that no choice. When we look at resentment that eats us alive, fear that drives us, and that dishonesty, that camouflage, that hiding, because we're so consciously or unconsciously afraid we'll be discovered for who we think we are, who we know we are in part of our delusion about the story about our deficiencies or an exaggeration about our grandiosity. It's an amazing journey, well, a therapeutic journey, more therapeutic than any therapy I'd ever received, step four and five. In this sense, the therapy I've received was wonderful and, and totally supportive and complimentary, but I never penetrated the unconscious in therapy in the way I believe I penetrated the unconscious in doing step four. That's my experience with it. And I'm introducing you to the possibilities of that at this point. Freud said it when he was looking at human development. All human beings need to make their unconscious conscious. Otherwise, they will conclude that they're a product, a victim of other people's malevolence or ill will or fate. Perennial victims. Not taking responsibility for their lives today. Many people have been victims. Terrible, unfortunate, tragic, even criminal experiences. Many people have been victimized, especially in their family of origin. 
unfortunate, very real. But once you're 18 or 21, deal with it. And I say that with compassion, deal with it. It's not their problem any longer, it's yours at age 21. The level of adulthood of some kind of maturity where we take 100% responsibility for the life that we have today. More about that when we get to step four. Still the play doesn't suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. The victim. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is the basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? That should be put in gold letters in everybody's slogans. Rest, W-R-E-S-T. What does that mean? It looks to me like it's part of wrestle. I can wrestle life to the ground if I know more, if I get stronger, if I'm meaner, if I'm kinder, if I get up earlier, if I try harder. If only I manage well. Is it not evident to everybody, the rest of the players, that these are the things that I want and do not my actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Competitive, this is the world we live in. Is he not even in his best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony? And this man with a tongue in cheek said, not only are we not the director of the play, we are the producer of confusion. Twisting the words a little bit out of context. And so this, uh, this next paragraph seems like almost a throwaway paragraph on Bill's part, but let's just take a look at it, treat it a little bit lightly. Our actor is self-centered, egocentric. Now Bill's 1939, they were just discovering psychiatry and psychology as put out there by Freud and Carl Jung and some others, of course, of international repute. But the ego was a big deal at that time. As it is today, of course. He is like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter complaining of the sad state of the nation. Well, pause for a minute. Bill is kind of being critical here in the way context and the way he's phrasing it. What's wrong with retiring and going to Florida and relaxing? Oh, he's complaining about the sad state of the nation. So he's just sitting in his armchair, not getting up and doing something about it. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century. And we've seen the hypocrites, the televangelists who are leading very dark lives in the shadows, and then it gets revealed. Politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. Well, it's so relevant today. You know, I don't care what your politics are, but 
what would you say would really please a politician? Politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia, meaning perfect, if the rest of the world would only behave. Behave, do what I tell you to do. <laughs> that self-centeredness again. The outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him. It's a common remark about people in prison that most of them think they're innocent. I don't know whether that's true or not, but it is one of those common things you hear. And the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. See, I don't understand why he put that in there. It doesn't seem to have the same kind of juice that the others comments have. I just have to admit that. I, I don't know what that actually means there. But then he goes on, whatever our protestations are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments or self-pity. This is kind of an introduction to the whole concept of step four, the whole concept of human behavior. I'm not gonna to get too deep into any of the aspects of step four. I think I've said quite a bit, maybe more than enough um, about that. The whole point, and once you have done the fourth step, if, it, if your experience parallels mine, and you come back and read these two pages, 60 to 62, it will have so much more. It, this is like reading black and white after you've done the fourth step and come back and reading it. It's like reading it in Technicolor because you'll be able to, this is a skeleton. And after you do the fourth step, you'll be able to put flesh on the bones of that skeleton from your own personal experience. You'll see the application of that selfishness and Bill now spends the next two paragraphs. This is the key that unlocks unmanageability. On page 52, we saw a behavioral description, those bedevilments. This is how we behave, those bedevilments on page 52. Here he's going to give us a very analytical evaluation and proclamation as to what is the nature of and the source of those bedevilments, that behavior. Listen to this first sentence. Selfishness dash self-centeredness exclamation point. Man, that's a silver bullet. There's no verb. Selfishness, self-centeredness. Those are synonyms. They mean the same thing. Well, what do they mean? Let's go down and look more. That we think is the root of our trouble. Oh my. If selfishness is the root, if I had a tree here and you were all seeing the tree and it was a live tree, you could see that it was a live tree in a large oak bucket. And you could see the trunk of the tree and the branches of the tree and the leaves. You would see it's a live tree. And if that tree had round orange balls on it, and I had not told you what kind of a tree it is, but you observe that it's a live tree and it has these large fruit on it. And I asked you, what kind of a tree is it? you would say it's an orange tree. You would say it in unison because we evaluate the tree by the fruit of the tree. 
This is uh, a very important image and model for uh, understanding of this step work, especially one and four. He is saying selfishness is the root. Well, in step four, I've introduced you to what I think are the fruits of the root. Resentment and fear and dishonesty. You can take a look at the way of life document, which has a picture of it that way, so that you can actually see that selfishness as the root and springing out of the roots are these three or four or five. I have more there because I include sex and secrets and shame and guilt. Driven by a hundred, going back to the book on page 62. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation. Pay attention to the words. This is how we operate. Oh my gosh, they got angry at us. Well, what did you do? Well, I just made an epithet or a joke. I was sarcastic. Okay, then they're retaliating. Seemingly without provocation. What, can't they take a joke? I was only kidding. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. This is the key to the fourth step. We look at resentments and we see their origin in me. We look at fears and we see their origin in me. We look at our sex and dishonesty behaviors and our secrets and we see their origin in me. That's the bad news and the good news. Bill says it right here. So our troubles we think are basically of our own making. Well, it sounds like bad news. Our troubles we think are basically of our own making and yet it's really good news. Oh, if I'm causing my troubles and I have free will, then in fact, I can just make different decisions and take different actions and I won't have these troubles. Yes, that's the truth. That's the turnaround that is committed to in step three, made a decision to turn and followed up by the actions of step four through nine, which are the turning. Steps four through seven, the turning in ourself, in terms of our relationship with ourself. Steps eight and nine, the turning in relationship to others. Powerful. So our troubles we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot. Please pay attention to the words. This is not an accident. Unmanageability is the human condition. Unmanageability is the human problem. The spiritual malady is all human beings have this selfishness. And then he says, and the alcoholic, the addict is an extreme example of it. Probably because of the addiction. We're hardwired to in fact be more self-centered 
because of our addiction. I'm assuming that that's the logic there. Though he usually doesn't think so. I'm 43 years old and it never occurred to me that I was alcoholic. I'm four years sober and it never occurred to me that I was self-centered. And yet I was diagnosable. And the, the therapist, you've heard me say it maybe, and you will certainly hear me say it as we get closer to the fourth step, in terms of a personality disorder, narcissism. All right. I'm not sure that I read this to you before, but somebody in a meeting once said, and I've captured it on a piece of paper. An alcoholic is quite capable of such feelings as affection, caring, and love. These feelings just do not involve anyone else. Oh my God, so embarrassing. Anyway, a sense of humor, especially about yourself, is a sign of authentic spirituality. I've been assured by my own spiritual director. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. He's building a crescendo here. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. Oh, I'm as powerless over my willpower, my self-centeredness, as I am over my addiction. That's what he's saying here. Because I need God to get rid of it, this selfishness. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without God's aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore. Moral meaning a set of ethics, training in some type of spiritual tradition, religious tradition, and or knowledge of some kind from human development. But we could not live up to them, even though we would have liked to. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. Now he puts the wooden stake in the heart. This is the final, this is the final blow to step one, as, as it was presented to me. You, you may recall, well, let me read it. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. Notice, not only can we not get rid of it, but we can't even reduce it much by wishing or trying on our own power our own willpower. There's the deficiency of the will. My will, this is a translation now, my, my interpretation, my will will always choose me on its own power. I do not have freedom here. I have no choice. It's a survival mechanism. It's the way I'm built. It's, it's a deficiency if you want to look at it that way, that my will will always choose me over you or anybody else. In the same way that my body is deficient, it does not successfully process alcohol, and my mind is inherently flawed, it does not successfully process reality, 
my will is inherently flawed. It will always choose me in preference to everybody and everything else on its own power. That's what Bill says we're not cured of, I believe, in step 10, page 85. We're not cured of this. We have a daily reprieve because as we finish step nine, we are turned. This is the image that I'll give you in, in step three, but it's really relevant and helpful to know where we're going to have this image in our mind. If there is this life force and we are created, then in fact, we have free will. We have free will. We are not God. This is a major revelation to most of us. We are not the center of the universe. We are the center of our universe. And we make decisions based on self, with, which go across the life force, go across general principles, universal principles, spiritual principles. We are taking care of ourselves by our efforts at self-will. And the whole point of step three, watch my hands, the whole point of step three is to turn my will and my life to be in alignment with the flow of the life force. Step one is I am an extreme example of self-will run riot, and I cannot turn to be in alignment on my own power. This is the launching pad for us then looking for a power that will in fact put us in proper alignment. We commit to that alignment in step three, by completing steps four through nine, and then the will has its tendency to go back to self-will on a daily basis, Bill says in step 10, when they crop up, and we spot check during the day to be in alignment, and in the morning we set uh, our sights on the guidance and the principles to be in alignment, and we're constantly working at being in alignment. And when we're in alignment, our life works. We're in the flow. So pay attention now. On page 43, Bill concluded in his own intention and structure of the big book and step one, he concluded the first half of step one. I believe in his own way, he was concluding step one, period. It was brilliant that he was able to elaborate unmanageability in the next two chapters, but we had to pick it out. It had to be shown to me, and now I'm showing it to you. Listen to how he ends step one. This is his intention from the big book structure on page 43. The alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. He's not talking about willpower. He's not talking about unmanageability. He's talking about addiction. The insight this man had was on page 62, he's talking about unmanageability. He's talking about our willpower. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. On page 43, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense against the obsession. His defense must come from a higher power. And here on page 62, we had to have God's help. Now we're launched, poised to launch into step two.
we're not going into step two because I still want to spend some time chewing on this material to get the juice out of it so that we can have an experience with it and share that experience with one another to broaden and deepen even our own personal experience. Next week, I would like to discuss this on Tuesday. We're going to discuss it a little bit now, and we're going to discuss it next Monday in, in depth. On next Tuesday, I want you to have completed the will worksheet, which you will see is the bedevilments that are laid out just in the order that um, I've articulated them with a couple other reflections and challenges and questions for you to attempt to spring yourself into having an experience with this today. Item number seven in uh, assignment five. And then going back to page 60, item number eight. Going back to page 60, taking a look at this uh, last paragraph, the statement. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success and turn it into a question at this point now between now and next week. Are you convinced, turn it into a question, this statement, am I convinced that my life run on self-will cannot be a success? Run on my own willpower cannot be a success. And write out a sentence or a paragraph or a page of reflection on that based on what you've experienced in doing the prior assignments. It's about your experience. Sure, your thoughts are important, but take a look at how you're living your life in terms of the quality of your life, assuming that you're abstinent. If you're not abstinent, kind of speculate as to what it, what it would look like if you were abstinent and what you would want it to look like in light of what we've been sharing. Be a little harder to do. All right. So let's have some dialogue with anybody who wants to ask a question, make a comment, share an experience. Okay. So I went on vacation. I'm in a food, the food thing, whatever, <laughs> food addict. And I went on vacation. We went to all inclusive that had no effect on me. Well, okay. Maybe it did, but <laughs> it was my birthday while we were in Mexico and I exerted my will. I was going to do what I wanted. Okay. So I had a break. I couldn't figure out why I was whatever. Okay. So I came home and I read in one of these millions of books that God will not overextend his will above ours. Um, I don't know if it's kind of the same thing, but um, when you were saying that my a life run on self-will can hardly be a success because he's not going to overrun our will. 
Yeah. Tell me if that's... Well, um, you've, you've, you've gotten right to the heart of the matter, and that's a mystery right there. I, I'm probably not going to be able to give you a satisfactory answer because philosophers and theologians and spiritual teachers have been gnawing on that issue for five to 10,000 years without ever coming to what I consider to be satisfactory resolution. And that is the, the conundrum that you're, you're talking about, the problem that you're talking about is willingness and grace. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, the chicken produces the egg, but the egg produces the chicken. All right, kind of like you get the flow of it, even if it's not too scientific. <clears throat> um, so am I willing because God gave me the grace? Or do I get the grace to become willing? Or do I keep the grace because I'm willing? I mean, it's not like, which comes first, willingness or grace? And I can't answer the question. I struggled with it for months, actually, when I was looking at this particular issue. At 10 years of sobriety, and I took it into meditation. And I, I didn't get an answer, but I got a poem that gave me a, a, a comfort with it. I was taken to a place of willingness. Hear the grace. I was taken to a place of willingness. Ah, but I was willing to be taken. So I see it's a collaborate. Yeah, it's like a dance. It's like a dance. One of my spiritual teachers, dead uh, monk, uh, Thomas Merton, talks about the cosmic dance. It's a poem. It's a kind of a poetry. But it's like, I'm in collaboration with this God, uh, with whatever this power is. And I don't know which comes first. I know that I have free will. And I know that there are some preconditions that make sobriety possible, but I didn't meet any of the preconditions when I was given the gift of freedom from alcohol and then later on found AA. So I can't answer the question about, people talk about miracles and I'm okay with that. But that's God overriding nature. But not overriding our will to be taken. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Because when you said that, so I was taken to a place of willingness. Okay. Well, so, you know, I'm praying. I'm not calling my sponsor. I'm not that willing. I'm not willing to, because I'm going to do it. I want to. So I was... Yeah. But I'm praying like well, but, but see, but here, here we're talking about here we're talking about the mental obsession. We're talking about the mind problem. And you're already in the throes of the mind problem, the obsession, because you've already said I'm not going to call my sponsor. Um, and I, I would imagine that your meditation practice wasn't uh, as shiny as it might have been <laughs> and uh, whatever else was going on. So you were hijacked by your obsession. I'm not so sure that that's a good example of self-will, but it's an example of where you're conscious that you were making some choices. Like I'm not going to call my sponsor. I am going to do what I want. I, whatever else you were doing and trying to keep it all in balance. And of course, that's where you lost it. But God, please help me. 
Well, yeah, but see, that's but like, I'm willing to be helped. That's, that's like saying, I'm going to rob a bank and God, please help me not get caught. <laughs> no, I'm going to ask you a question. What do you okay. think unmanageability is? I'm out of control. I can't manage. I, I can't manage it. Manage what? The obsession, the thoughts, the... Certainly you can't manage that, but we're not talking about addiction now. We're not talking about addiction. That's the point I think that you were not getting. We're not talking about addiction. We're talking about your life. Right. Are you, are you today comfortably managing your life on your own? No freaking way. <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Do you want to be able to be empowered to manage your life so that you have contentment and serenity? I don't know if I can. Well, all right. That's not an answer to my question, but it is an answer to the problem of unmanageability because you're actually seeing the truth on your own. You can't. That's the whole point. We're talking about powerless. On your own power, you're screwed. Mm, That is not in the big book. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm just here. I'm being had. Well, let let me read it again. What do you think this means? Neither could we reduce our self centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. AKA, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, definitely. That, see, that's why it's the launching pad. Okay. I can see that. I can experience that. I really do need power, not just because of my addiction. At 10 years of sobriety, good sobriety, at 10 years, I could see the truth of that that the quality of my life was not what I wanted. And I had two spiritual awakenings prior to that. And yet I couldn't make it happen. And so I was ready then to have a whole new experience with what is this power that I have obviously not yet really found. Yeah. Boom. All right. All right. Thanks. You're you're engaged. (laughs) As good as it gets, you're engaged in this work. You don't have to feel resolved. You can feel like, well, that didn't go anyplace, Herb, but I don't feel satisfied. Yes, that is correct. All right. Good. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. All these things are running through my mind with the reflection questions. And um, so I was trying to do some things and something occurred to me. I said, I am fed up. I give up. I surrender. And at the same time, I was looking into what do I consider my higher power? What is that relationship and the meditation? Uh, but something shifted when I, I just said, I'm fed up. I surrender.
and I felt released. And then I said, what am I surrendering to? And then I said, oh my gosh, I'm surrendering to my higher self. And then God, and then it hit me. I'm operating in my ego because I observed myself. And I said, when I'm not in alignment, I feel, I now I see and experience the difference. When I'm not in alignment and I'm trying to run the show, I, um, that's my ego trying to put on a show and look good. And it's finally hitting me that when I'm in alignment <laughs> and it has to be a daily thing because my ego wants to say I can do yes, 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 yes. But what occurred was as I started realizing that my relationship has gotten stronger and I feel relaxed, even though nothing, you know, in the outer has changed is it's an inner experience. Yeah. Nothing, <clears throat> nothing outside changes and everything changes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the way I'm responding to people or not responding when necessary, unless I go into the ego and then I catch myself. Now let's go back into the higher. So, um, and that's the whole point of the 10th and 11th and 12th step. Exactly. Um, okay. and, and you started out by saying, my higher self. And I want to encourage people thinking along that line, Dr. Berger, who speaks, he's a clinical psychologist, one of my co-facilitators. And uh, he, he, he comes from a, a very practical, because of his therapeutic practice, uh, terminology. He says, we let the best in us manage the worst in us. Yes. I love yes. that. Oh, I love great. that. Yeah, right. That is, yes. Right. Yes, thank you. All right, thanks very much. I was hoping that I could uh, jot down that quote, your your favorite quote about uh, we alcoholics uh, are loving, et cetera, et cetera, except one of the people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I'll read it again. An alcoholic is quite capable of such feelings as affection, caring, and love. These feelings just do not involve anyone else. <laughs> it was so accurate. I'm sorry. It was so embarrassingly accurate. I mean, it's not who I am today. I, I, want, I want to defend myself just a little bit. But it was very true in 1988 and 1994, actually, until I really had that major full conversion experience. Uh, I'm an Al-Anon um... I definitely, with the unmanageable bedevilments, I am definitely suffering from all of those mm. right now and have been for a long time. Um, it's kind of the, the heart of the matter for the Al-Anon, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, but the, the question I have, though, is you're talking about the manipulation of being nice to people to yeah. get them to do what you want. Yeah. And being mean if you don't. Yes. And that confuses the hell out of me because um, I know maybe on a very conceptual level how that works, but I feel like that is the way of the world. And that's what everybody I know operates on. Yeah. So it, it feels really disorienting. Um, you know, I, I, 
I mean, like, I don't feel like I'm in a man manipulative person, but my wife keeps telling me that I am. <laughs> well, then you're delusional. Because <laughs> she knows the truth. I'm going to say it just I don't even know you, but I'm just going to say it. She's probably observing the truth and you can't see it. So be patient with us until you go through the fourth step and then circle back with us and let us know whether my reaction was appropriate on or inappropriate off. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, I think. <laughs> Did you have more that you wanted to share? I didn't mean to be so um, confrontational. Uh, I think. You know what? Not not really. I think um, I, you know I'm going to have to do some work this week, uh, and I I I'm good. Oh, okay, yeah, because um, I I I was too how do you say um, too black and white with my comment that I don't like ever when I'm doing that because you had a concern about your wife's comments and you didn't see them as accurate and it may be that they're not accurate she may be the dysfunctional one but my observation normally is that i i can't see what other people are seeing but go ahead i mean she she works she works several programs and does them really well wow. so she probably is right but i just don't like to admit that <laughs> oh well that would have been the conclusion to our discussion if i'd allowed you to talk a little bit <laughs> all right thanks so much for your honesty you that's the kind of thing see we don't yeah there's lots of sayings in aa almost but anyway let's thank you so much uh, I used to say this a long time ago don't get too hungry angry lonely or tired halt right Right, right. And um, I had just come off of a very emotional circumstance and had, you know, graduated college. And I was in Europe, backpacking through Europe. And I'd gotten this hotel room that was as big as a closet and it had a refrigerator in it. And, you know, it didn't, I didn't even look in the refrigerator, you know, the first three days. And on the fourth day, I decided to look in there. And there was all this booze in there. And I... And I, and I don't know why I'm sharing this, but this intuitively came to me to share tonight and I don't know why, so whatever. So I look in there and I go, and I go, I can't have this in my room. I've shopped till I dropped, I'm hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And it's the middle of the night in Europe. I don't even know what time it is in you know, the US and there's nobody to call, blah, blah, blah. So I fill up the pillowcase with all the booze but I leave a beer in there because I think to myself, I won't get drunk on one beer. Whoops. I had five years of sobriety. Whoops. And I thought, who the fuck am I kidding? And I put that beer, I, I was never as so shocked and as scared yeah. but, because I knew, I knew, but, I, but in that moment, I had that thought that one beer won't yeah. get me drunk. Yeah. And so I went and I dumped it on some, Stranger. I don't know if I ever paid for all that alcohol or if they yeah. returned it later. Yeah. It didn't matter. Yeah. Well, but see, just... but you you had uh, the thought that came that was almost going to hijack you. But my speculation is you were spiritually fit. Therefore, you were protected against the obsession. I mean, it came damn close to pushing you off the cliff, but you had that final ability 
not on your own power necessarily, I'm, I'm speculating, that uh, you were given a grace to go, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed and shocked and blah, poof, and I put it in there. So that's what we're talking about in terms of unmanageability. Somehow you had been able to deal with your life on a daily basis to maintain some level of spirituality that left you protected. And, uh, you, know, it's, you know, all these years later, I feel really kind of alcohol neutral, right? It's really about food and my other weird shit right. that I do. Right. And, um, you know, I just want to, I want to have that sense of assurance. You do. You want that sense of contentment and peace. I want it with food and I want it with my other stuff. And That's right. Yeah. You know, yep. And it, it's still, it's, it's still working the steps and meditating and writing. What it is, I mean, yes, 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 but that's a distraction. Okay. What it is, is a relationship with power. Mm -hmm. That's the only answer. Mm -hmm. Now, then the question is, well, how do I maintain that relationship mm -hmm. with power? Then the laundry list comes out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. Okay. I had the bedevilments in a lot of my recovery. A anyway, so, you know, it was a long time. And then uh, I, I, got, I, I got divorced. And then I spent a year and a half just reestablishing myself. My kids are out of the house, you know, being alone. And I spent a lot of time in step one. And I felt like I had this very strong connection with God. And then last year, after I'd been with my, my ex, it was 28 years. So it was like almost half my life I was with this one man. Anyway, I felt strong. I had God, a sponsor. I had all this recovery and, and working through a relationship. And, and then, so I get in a relationship with, with, with a man and, um, you know, I'm working this great program and, and I feel like where I'm going with, I feel like I weaponized some of my, my recovery because I put up with a lot of bad behavior because I have a recovery and I have God. So I can, anyway, you know, of course I learned that, and I am in Al-Anon, um, that I, I had to look at some of those kind of relationship issues and, and uh, anyway, but you know what, the bottom line that my sponsor actually pointed out to me, and it really sent me reeling is that I did not have God in this relationship. And, 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 you know, I love, and you don't say it so much in, in, in this, in, in this workshop, but I, you know, I kept thinking about what you said. I don't see what I don't see. And no, I don't know what I don't know. And I don't see what I can't see because it was exactly that. I thought I knew I had a lack of power and I had God, you know, running this relationship. And it was so not true. I was completely running that relationship because I just knew if I blah, 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 he would blah, blah, blah. And that's no, I had no God and I didn't trust God at all. I mean, you know, the good thing is, is that, you know, I, in the last year now, since we broke up, I, um, I've done a lot of work and I've really grown, but it just makes me wonder, do you ever get to a place in your recovery where God is in every part of your recovery? you're saying where God is in every part? Yeah, because yeah. it was, it's really kind of scary that I thought I had God and, yeah. and I did it. And now I, you know. Yeah, but it's know, progressive. I'm... It's progressive. And we wake up to the fact that we've been asleep. Again. Again. The, uh, the, the, Tebow 
uh, psychiatrist that supported Bill in really evaluating the early structure of AA, but also as a therapist, um, said Bill got it right. The first nine steps are for the deflation of the ego at depth, but the ego has an uncanny way of regenerating itself. Yeah, and we won't know it, we won't see it until there's a behavior or an awareness that goes, oh, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. it's, I mean, it was scary. It still is kind of scary because where's it going to happen again? But I guess as long as I just keep staying close to God and have a sponsor that I can put. I mean, I did have the intuition that I was getting uncomfortable in the relationship, but yeah. you know. But that comes from the consciousness that you had and, and the two things that you said that I'll be able to navigate this eventually successfully when I stay close to God, a.k.a. meditation, and I stay accountable to a sponsor. Yeah, exactly. For me, that's, that's the, the magilla. That's the whole thing. That's the bullseye. Well, and, but, it, but it's the best kept secret in the rooms. Well, we just talked about the spiritual malady as unmanageability, as not cured, as ego, as self-centeredness, and, and that we never get over it. It's a daily effort to stay in relationship with power so that we're empowered to manage it. We're being empowered to manage our unmanageability. But daily, we don't build up a storage battery. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Okay, that's good. Thank, Thank you. you. Wonderful talk. Um, you know, it was, my experience is really through this talk. It, I started to try to remember about the hole in the donut. If I yeah. keep on turning my life and my will over to the care of something or somebody else, what will become of me? I'll look like the hole in the donut. This, of course, is the process by which instinct and logic always seek to bolster egotism and so frustrate development. Now, without getting into the million stories I have of, of self-sabotage, whatever it is, um, there's a part of me that is really scared of the hole. And yes, yeah. It, and I'm kind well, of like, you know. But the hole doesn't exist. Oh, but I mean, but the, the vastness of the soul, the vastness of the ah. life, the vastness of you know, whatever the, it is that, that's living in me, yeah. there's, a, there's a little scary of, uh, and, it, and I, that's my, I think that's my experience. That's where my self-sabotage comes in mm -hmm. and says, ah, we're going to do this because we're not going there. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I would just like your thoughts on that because it just kind of, your talk tonight and I remembered the quote and I was looking on the page. I remembered in the big book, I couldn't find it, but I remember what will become of me and the hole in the donut. And that's what I was feeling like hearing you talk and all my 27 years of sobriety yeah. and all the bumps and ups and downs and dishonesties and little shenanigans. And, and it all kind of went to that piece for me, at least. Yeah. Well, I have a very different uh, sort of metaphor coming at it because I don't believe the hole exists in the donut. I, I, I understand the, the thought and I think it's, it's a, wonderful thought producer like right now we're having a discussion because you laid it up um but my sense is that we 
have accumulated, you know what the Russian dolls are, those nesting dolls you see in um, uh, gift shops where the large one and then inside is the smaller one and inside is the smaller one and inside, and they all look the same. That's who we are. They call them matrushka, all right? Yeah. In Russian, that means mother. But anyway, that's who we are. And the whole point of the fourth step is to remove the artificial stage fronts, movie sets that we've created as the false self. The whole point to get down, not to the whole, but to the true self, that place where the light really does reside so that the true self can in fact manifest to me and then through me to you. That's the whole point of this process, I believe, at least that's the, the, the metaphor that I will use for this four, steps four through nine process. But first we have to get in touch with an authentic relationship with a real power to navigate this path. And that's the whole point of steps two and three. I mean, I've been through the fourth step and I've been through the steps and, and I- How long ago did you do a fourth step? Well, I've done a fourth step probably six years ago. I've done them several times over the years. All right. But so what happens is I get lazy on my maintenance. Like you said, the yep. 10th step, the 11th, 12th. And yep. what my yep. life, that practicing that, that, that 12th step kind of kicks in of practicing these principles on all my affairs. Like you're in a 100% service and I can see like you're 100% in your, in your 12 step work. But don't measure your, your, your destiny, your, your life by my life, because my, 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 my mm, invitation is different than your invitation. Your yeah. invitation is different than my invitation. So it really is about, but what you're saying is that you're not gently pressed up against the dimmer switch. <laughs> the no. dimmer switch has been going backwards for a while. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, uh, and, and the lights are getting a little dim. Well, that's that's you know just life on life's terms sometimes. No, it isn't. That's bullshit. Really? Yes. Oh, well. I, won't, I have no tolerance. All right. For that. For, for for that kind of comment at all. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that. no, it's not. No, you're not. This is just the way I am. No, it's not. These are the choices that you make on a daily basis to move forward or to allow yourself to move backwards. You're right. Oh. I don't like it, but you're right. You don't have to like it. <laughs> you don't have to like it. Reality no. just is. Don't take it personally. Yeah. Reality just is what it is. Bill said, there's only two disciplines. One is God and one is alcohol. You're either going for one or you're going for the other. I wonder if he meant it. Oh, he did. Whether you're heading towards a drink or heading towards the higher power. There you go. That's right. Thank yep. you. But I mean, it's just like we, you know, the self-sabotage is so baffling to me. Like when you're doing yes. thing and you're doing yes. so good, you know, I'm, I'm going to Al-Anon. I'm, I'm working the steps in Al-Anon. I'm sober. I'm doing yeah. this. I'm doing yeah. service. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm doing my 10 step, I'm praying, I'm meditating and this and this. And then all of a sudden, boom, yeah. some crazy it's not all of a sudden, the shenanigan comes it's out. Not all of a sudden. It's all of a sudden that you experience it, uh -huh. but it's a deterioration 
one click at a time, the dimmer switch goes down and it gets darker. Yeah. Click, 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 click until the darkness descends, the obsession hijacks you and you've relapsed. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, but the thing is, is relapse. But what about the, 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 the fear of what, I mean, all these people are wonderful people working the steps and doing this stuff. And then they have a million stories of they were just going along and boom, the self-sabotage came up where. No, know, no, no. That's, that's a psychological bullshit term. Okay. All right. The self-sabotage is that I don't hold myself accountable to a sponsor transparently, and I'm not doing 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis. Bam. It's that simple. Yeah. If you're doing 10 and 11 and 12, as it's outlined in the book, you progressively increase the light, not progressively disintegrate toward the darkness. It just won't happen. Now, one of the one, one of the wise people in in my local program said, the drink itself is not the relapse. The relapse happened days ago, or weeks ago, or months ago, and I read recently by a psychologist who talked about that first compromise is the beginning of the slide on the slippery slope. The first compromise. Oh, I don't need to help that person. Oh, I don't need to talk to my sponsor about this discomfort. It's none of his business anyway. I'll handle it. I got this. Yeah. But what is your what is your thing like a therapy today? Like the body's the library. So like the, the theory is like you're in a you know, child of origin and your body remembers all this bullshit that happened yeah. to you. Yeah. All yeah. the trauma, all the PTSD. Yes, yes. And so, you know, it's an awareness piece of, okay, this is what you have to be in that awareness piece in order to get to that 10, 11, 12 and say, oh, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. Look at you. Oh my God, look at you, explain why you're not doing it. Oh my God, you've got a thousand stories to explain why you're not doing the program. Well, okay, but I mean, I wanted to just see your what you were saying about- You're seeing what I'm saying. Well, no, but the body's a library, like, so, I mean- So deal with it. That's what the fourth step is about. That's what the ninth step, the four through nine, deals with all of that stuff. And if you need professional help, then well, I've had all that, but I, I just wanted to, to pick your brain and, and mm -hmm. how you how you felt about those. those Stay with things. us. Stay with us. You're in for a really big ride, but use shoulder straps, not just a seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, you're hilarious. Thank you so much, Herb. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'm finding myself like just really wanting to check out because it's heavy for me just to face the fact like yep all this is of my own making and then I I see like the self-judgment starting the self-pitying starting and then it's like all right well let's go to a meeting or let's like how do I get into the acceptance okay God this and that in order to um you know do the process of recovery you know try right. to Right. Be, you know, be here you're in the having process. An awareness and, um, on, you're having an awareness that you're uncomfortable. And if I'm hearing you correctly, you're asking, how do I get comfortable? <laughs> yeah. How do I gain the acceptance and 
you, you know, do, be able to lift my head. No, you be do able the, to lift my head again. Yeah, you do the rest of these steps in the order that'll be presented, and it won't happen by Sunday, but it will happen by the end of this year. Something will happen to change all of that orientation if you stay with us and do the assignments. I don't care how well or how little you do. If you stay with us and you participate and you, and you hear the sharing and, and you do the assignments to the best of your ability, you will be able to answer that question very clearly. Okay. And I don't know when it'll happen, but it will certainly happen during the fourth step. A whole bunch of this will come together in the fourth step. I mean, I, I mean, I, I see it. It's like, wow, yeah, I'm a fear-based person. Oh, wow, yeah, I am shame-based person. Wow, okay. And then it's like, okay, what? Okay, you know, I can't do. I mean, I just feel like I feel so powerless over the fact that like. This seems to be a recurring, recurring story as far as I can remember from my childhood. And I find myself getting back into the same stories again and again, the same stories. All right. But it sounds to me like you're actually having the experience that I pray everybody have in this particular element of step one, unmanageability. Like you just said. I really feel like I don't have a chance. I really feel powerless. I really feel hopeless. Yes. That's, I'm praying that that's going to be a, a, a feeling that's going to absolutely hijack you and dominate you and bring you to the depths of Death Valley. <laughs> that's the kind of guy I am. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because, because it's that desperation that will then launch us into effective working of step two to find that power. And in step three, to find our relationship with that power. That's real. Not this little hokey, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I I commit to turning my life and my will over to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get on with inventory. I mean, that's what I did in my first year. But then it took progressive. I mean, I myself, Go ahead. I find, my, I find myself these days, you know, just the spirit moves me to I need to get on my knees. I need to get on my knees. Like that's my action of humility. It's like I have to get on my knees. And it isn't something that's habitual that I do on a regular basis. It's just something of my desire, you know, my despair of saying, I really need you, God. I really, really need well, you. Yeah. And do, and, do, this, yeah. do, this, do this work, this painting by the numbers, though. Yes, you're right at the spot where there, everything in you is crying out in different directions for help. Yes, that's the whole point of step one and the experience of I'm inadequate and effective on my own power, both with regard to my addiction but especially with regard to living my life comfortably. Yes. Thank you. Well, it's not going to be solved tonight. It's not going to be solved tonight, other than the fact that you're here and I'm here and I'm here because I'm telling you there's hope. And so hopefully you can see at least that I believe there's hope, even if you don't. All right. Well, That was robust. 
I hope it was helpful. And um, we're going to dedicate one more next Tuesday. We'll be completely looking at your experience with unpacking the worksheet on the will. So if you can, please completely dissociate unmanageability from any aspect of addiction. It is not relevant to the obsession in, in the sense that I want to talk about it. It is not relevant to the addiction. It's relevant to you're in a position of neutrality with regard to your addiction and the quality of your life isn't at the level that you wanted. And you don't seem to be able to get it to where you want it on your own power. What a rich, rich uh, community and conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your lives with each other. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>